So, you know, I, I love watching things grow. You guys too? Yeah. I know Pam does. I've seen her house. Uh, and, you know, I think I got that from my father and from both of my grandfathers who, uh, who always had these huge gardens. And, and they passed down to me a great love for getting my hands dirty and dirt under my fingernails and God's good earth. Uh, in fact, because other than being here with all of you guys, that's really my favorite place to be. Uh, because seeing things grow and seeing that process take place is fulfilling. And it's encouraging. And in our text today, Jesus relates a parable that is all about growth. Uh, a parable about the growth of the faith that was once handed down to the saints. A faith handed down from our Heavenly Father to our earthly fathers uh, and one that we men, we fathers uh, and granddads of this generation are not just encouraged, but are commanded to hand on to the next. Not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit, just like I was telling the kids. So our text today comes from the Gospel of Mark, uh, beginning in verse 1. So hear now the words of the true and living God. Mark writes, Once again Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. And then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, he said, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock, the seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still others fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted and grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. And later when Jesus was alone with the twelve disciples and with the others who were gathered around him, they asked him what the parables meant. And Jesus replied, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scripture might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they'll learn nothing. When they hear what I say... They will not understand. Otherwise, they'll turn to me and be forgiven. And then Jesus said, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others, and that seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing the word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear the word of God, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth and the desires for other things. So no fruit is produced. And that seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30 or 60 or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Jesus also said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but 
He doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crop on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. So today's lesson is uh, it's a little departure from what we've been looking at in previous messages, because up to this point, uh, the lectionary has been generally having us look at the things that Jesus was doing rather than the things he was saying. Because Mark's gospel emphasizes Jesus as a man of action, one with uh, an urgent mission to usher in the kingdom of God. So Mark just in general spends less time on Jesus' teaching ministry uh, than the other gospel writers do. But today, today changes all that because today we're looking at a sermon that Jesus preached. Uh, a sermon in the form of a parable. And I know you guys are all familiar with parables, but just by way of explanation, the word parable derives from a Greek construction which basically means to throw alongside something. Basically to help you see how A is, is like B. And, and parables are helpful because they take a hard-to-understand concept like the kingdom of God and, and they lay down alongside it something that's easily relatable from everyday life. Like in Jesus' uh, parable today when he used the image of, of fishing or if he uses the image of farming. Now, sometimes his parables are just similes. Other times there are longer metaphors like today in this parable of the sower and of the growing seed. And I know it's one we're all familiar with, but just by way of background, our Savior delivered this parable on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Actually, if you paid attention to the text, he delivered it from the Sea of Galilee because as we read he had to get into a boat and go out some distance from the shore because of this large crowd that was pressing in on him. And by preaching from the boat, Jesus made it easier for all those folks to see him. And there was also the advantage of his voice being amplified by the water so that more people could hear him. And as his message begins, he borrows this image from first century Galilean agriculture in order to teach a spiritual lesson. Now for you farmers out there, uh, farming in that time and in that region was a little different from what you and I might be used to because in our day, at least when I was a kid, uh, we plowed first and then we planted, right? It's like I did when I seeded my yard about a month or so ago, right? I got my big garden fork and plowed out these even rows and seeded the grass and then you cover it up and water it, right? But in Jesus' day, farmers scattered their seed far and wide all over their plot of land before they plowed it. And then they tilled the earth to bury the seed. That's what the farmer does in today's story. Because remember, Jesus doesn't say the farmer went out and tilled the ground. He said the farmer went out to scatter some seed. And in verse 14, our Lord explains that the scattered seed that goes out from the farmer represents the word. His word. That outward call of the gospel that goes out to every man and woman, every boy and girl. The call for all people everywhere to receive Christ. And that call is as wide and as broad and as deep as the whole earth. Uh, that's the point of the farmer's field in Jesus' parable. It's the mission field of the world. Uh, and it's an image of the indiscriminate preaching of God's word to all people. To all people, regardless uh, of what kind of soil they are. Whether they're hard, whether they're shallow, whether they're thorny, or whether they're of that faithful few who come running back eager for more. Because either way, our jobs as Christians is to scatter the seed. 
And our job is in sharing the faith and then entrusting God to do his job, like I was telling the kids. And just like the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he said, uh, you know, it's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seeds grow. And you know, that's not always easy to remember, is it? Especially in our kind of uh, self-absorbed culture that thinks everything's about me uh, and about what I think and my opinions and my ideas and what I can do on my own. It's kind of like a guy I read about uh, who has sold his New York townhouse and he moved out to the country and he decided that now that he was a country gentleman that he needed to own some chickens for his property. And not just some chickens, he wanted a hundred chickens. That's a lot of chicken, yeah. And so he went to see a local farmer to get some, and the local farmer told this new country gentleman, he said, you know, you really should start out small with just a few, you know, like a dozen or so. But the man was insistent. He said he needed 100 chickens, and the farmer tried to talk him down from such a big start, but they finally agreed and sold him the 100 chickens, and the man was thrilled. Two weeks later, the local farmer drops by to see how things were going for the chicks he had sold, and the country gentleman said to him, well, well, not so well because all 100 chicks died. The farmer said, I can't believe that. I've never, I've never had any trouble with any of my chickens. Uh, it's okay, though. I'll give you 100 more to replace them. Two weeks more went by, and the local farmer stopped by again to check on the replacements, and the country gentleman said, you're not going to believe this, but that second 100 chickens they died too. Now astounded, the, the farmer said, I just can't imagine what in the world is going wrong. The gentleman farmer said, you know, I don't know, it's weird. I've tried everything and, and now I'm just not sure if it's uh, whether I'm just planting them too deep or too close together. <laughs> you see, he didn't quite get it, did he? <laughs> And you see, dads and granddads, though, God wants us to understand where our provision comes from when we share our faith with our sons and daughters. And we don't have to plot out every eventuality, right? We don't have to guess how it's all going to turn out or if the seed will take root because the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Do you see how that shifts the focus from how those people groups in the parable were responding to what the Holy Spirit was doing? And if you notice in our text in Mark 4.27 that, that the how, that the, the means of the seed's growth, that wasn't known by the man who threw the seed out. He just saw the growth, but he didn't know how it happened. And Jesus is saying there's a higher power producing the growth. A power that's independent from the man or the woman who threw out the seed because it's a miraculous new birth. And just like no farmer in the world can force a crop to grow, uh, a pastor or an evangelist can't force spiritual life or spiritual growth on others as much as we wish that we could, right? Right? A pastor can't make that happen. There's not a preacher in the world from Billy Graham to Pastor John that has ever changed one person's heart all by themselves. It is the work 
of the Holy Spirit from beginning to end. But you know, having said that, leaves the obvious question hanging in the air. Uh, if that is all true, then why bother? Why preach? Why witness? Why, why share our, our faith that our fathers have passed down to us? And to answer that, I'm going to give you a little uh, kind of made-up dad parable of my own. Now, not, not to be mistaken for Scripture and definitely not on par with our Lord's, but hopefully one that will kind of be thrown down alongside this idea. Uh, and I shared this before with uh, Sunday school and with uh, Bible study. But since I can't get all of you to come, right, this is the punishment for you folks that don't bring more people to either of those. You have to hear it again. But uh, when, when J.J. and Kitty uh, were still toddlers, Vicky and I, oh, there's my babies. Vicky and I still worked for ourselves, and since most of the work I did I could do from home, I got to spend two years as a stay-at-home dad. Now, thankfully, my mother-in-law did the lion's share of the cooking, but I, I cooked on a lot of occasions, and the kids always wanted to help. So I decided I'd make something that was not only healthy, but something that they could theoretically help me with and help me put together. So we decided on tuna noodle casserole. Now, as the father of the house, I've got the plan, right? I know what I'm making. I know who's involved. I know how it's all going to culminate in a big feast for the family that's coming to the table. And I know exactly what time we're going to eat and who's going to be there. Did the kids know any of that? Did I really need them to help me? No, to be quite candid, it would have been a whole lot easier to do all of that around them while they were still napping and just skip straight to supper. But there's an important reason I didn't do that. And for one, it's because I wanted my children to spend time with me. And I wanted to spend time with them. And I wanted them to know how a father works and how a father plans and how a father cared about the things we're doing together. And I wanted my children to be part of the ultimate goal that we were accomplishing together. Now, that might be a clumsy little parable, but I hope you get the point. Because, brothers and sisters, the Bible says salvation is God's plan. He's the initiator. It says he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And a big part of his plan is in spreading the seed of his message through us and inviting people to his table and into his kingdom, knowing that he has promised to save men and women of every tribe and tongue and race and nation. A number too great to count. Not because they deserve it. Not because they were smart enough or holy enough or educated enough to figure it out, but only because of the work of the Holy Spirit to prepare the soil to receive the seed. Because otherwise none of us would be saved because the Bible says no one seeks God. But you know, increasingly now people don't want to hear a gospel message like that. They don't want to hear a message that minimizes us or one that points out our flaws or finds us short of the mark and not up to God's standards and shows us that we are not just bad on our own, but desperately so. And as the Bible says, dead in our trespasses and sins. And so as a culture, we convince ourselves that we've done nothing at all that's offended God or separated us from Him. And that we as men and women are inherently worthy of God's unconditional love. Uh, and now as good uh, as that may sound, I know that sounds like good news. It sounds like good news to believe that there's no wrath, that there's no judgment, that there's no punishment, but that stands in direct and deliberate contradiction to everything that the gospel has ever taught about sin and righteousness and judgment. Uh, and as good as believing that I deserve God's unconditional love sounds, 
it won't sound so good when it turns out to be wrong. Because all that that would really leave you with is just a lukewarm version of kind of nice news. And a picture of God as maybe some benevolent grandfather, maybe a little naive who smiles and pats me on the head no matter what I do. But believing that, what you won't get is a holy, awesome, almighty God and Father over the universe before whom we should all fall in reverence. Who, despite all of my faults, sent his beloved son to atone for my sins. To die for me. Dying for me. Now that's unconditional love. That's a love I don't have to pretend to be worthy of. One that I don't have to make myself seem good enough to deserve. Now that's good news. And in this age of fake news, it's information from reliable sources that we can point to. Like the Apostle Luke in the book of Acts who wrote, And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promises which was made unto the fathers, God has fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. He's saying that this gospel that we preach was promised beforehand to our fathers by the holy prophets uh, and dads and granddads out there, you know how important promises are to a family, right? Promises can make and break a family. Relationships are made and broken over them. But brothers and sisters, we have a God who's a promise keeper. And his son, Jesus Christ, is that promise. And they both came together in what matters the most, and that's our redemption. Because the promise made in the Old Testament became the promise kept in the New. And that means all the promises that remain are going to get fulfilled as well. Isn't that good news? In a world in which uh, political promises are laughable and, and even good friends' promises are sometimes questionable, isn't it good to know that the promise that matters the most, the promise of our Heavenly Father from His Holy Word, can be taken to the bank? We've got it right here in front of us in the Bible. And you know, it's amazing when I was thinking about this, uh, how we kind of go through the different stages of trust in our relationships, both with our earthly fathers uh, and with God. And I know I shared this with you about two years ago, but I think it's worth repeating. Uh, Someone has written that uh, at age four, we believe my dad can do anything. At age seven, we say, yeah, my dad, he knows a lot. By age 12, we're saying, oh, well, you can't expect dad to know everything. By age 14, we say, my dad is hopelessly out of date and old-fashioned. <laughs> By the time we reach 21 years of age, we usually say, well, what could you expect? Dad just doesn't understand. Now, by age 25, you might say, well, my dad, he knows some stuff, I guess. By age 30, we say, I really, uh, I really need to find out what dad thinks. And by age 70, we ask, I wonder what dad would have thought. And then we suddenly realize, wow, my dad knew everything. And I just wish I could talk things over with him one more time. So that tells me that we need to recognize, hopefully sooner than later, the right place to focus our faith and to place our trust, and that is squarely in our God who is a faithful father to his children. A father who is faithful to his word and to his promise, because if he says he'll do it, he'll do it. A God who is not only the father of humanity because he's our creator, but who has become our individual personal father through Jesus Christ. And that's not just good news, that's the greatest news. That in Jesus Christ, God is not some impersonal deity. He's not fate or or chance or some mystical karma. He's not a God who's far off and doesn't care. 
Though in Jesus Christ we've discovered the most important truth in the universe, and that is that God is our Father, and that He loves us so much that He did something that you and I would never think of doing. He gave His own dear Son. He loves you unimaginably because He did the inconceivable. He gave His Son for you, proving that He is a Father who truly loves His children. And all that a good father is to his children, God will be to those who love him and who are called by his spirit. And everything that God has for us and that he is for us is wrapped up in that word that we call him when we pray our father. And those are the truths that I want my kids to learn about our heavenly father. That I want my children to inherit just like this message. The message once delivered to the saints the message handed down by the fathers. And if you have ears today, and if you've never believed before, today is that day. You know, the Bible says that God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now, now He commands everyone, everywhere, to repent of their sins and turn to Him. For the Bible says He set a day for judging the world with justice, judging by the man that He appointed, and He has proved to everyone who this is, by raising him, by raising Jesus from the dead. Brothers and sisters, God is at work in his kingdom this morning. He's at work with individuals and with families and in the mission field of this world. And Jesus is telling all of us that all of this in world will eventually come to a conclusion. And it's going to happen just as we read. We read this morning, as soon as the grain is ready and the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle for the harvest time has come and dads and granddads this morning, that's our wake-up call. That's our charge. The harvest is coming. And you and I are missionaries. We are spreaders of the seed in this world. Not in a foreign land, but in our family circle and the circle of folks that we influence. So don't be shy. Don't shirk your duty. Don't sleep through your planting season, whether it's short or long, but sow the seed of God's Word and leave the growth to Him to produce His harvest be it 30 or 60 or maybe 100 times for his kingdom. Amen? Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for the unspeakable privilege that you have given that we are allowed to, to be your ordinary means of grace, to sow the seed of your word in this world. And so, Father, I ask that you be with this word that has gone out today, that you would uh, lend your spirit because you promise that your word won't return to you in vain, but accomplish all that you purpose it to. And so we give you, Father, uh, into your hands every heart that you're reaching out to today and trust in you, Lord, for that growth that only you can bring. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.